I was raised to believe that the Bible defines good and evil for us within its pages. But when we stop and examine this idea using the Bible, we discover something else. In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. A tree that would bring life to all who ate of its fruit, and a tree that brought death. And it was the second tree, the tree that resulted in death, that contained the knowledge of good and evil. Have we been deceived by the serpent who is trying to get us to eat of the second tree? Is the Bible really trying to define good and evil for us? Let's take a step back. Let's run an experiment. Instead of seeking to define good and evil, let's instead ask the question of the trees. Let's attempt to define life and death, but to do so, we must first seek it out. So join us as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we compile various parts of scripture to discern the underlying ideals that are being explored. The book of Leviticus truly is a handbook of worship for the people who are called to worship Hashem. Within its pages, we discover four major applications of worship that were to be known by the worshiper, and each of these are areas that every worshiper should know, not simply the priests or the Levites. And when I began the notes for this teaching, I thought that I would do two chapters and that we would finish the book today. But as I got into chapter 26, I discovered that it would be a disservice to chapter 26 to discover chapter 27 as well in the time that we have. So I dropped chapter 27 from this week's lesson, and we will finish up Leviticus next week instead of this week. So before we get into the lesson for this week, let's remind ourselves of where we are. Leviticus is split up into four primary sections. 1. Sacrifice, or perhaps better said, how to remain in relationship with God. 2. Uncleanness, or perhaps better said, the revelation of our need for a Savior to cleanse us from this flesh of death. 3. Holiness, or perhaps better said, living out the character of God to those around us. And 4. Communal worship, or perhaps better said, the building up of a body and a people of God. Now this week we wrap up the final of these four sections as we deal with the concept of blessings and curses. Blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. But as we will find these blessings and curses, they're not individual. They are communal. They are warnings for the community at large. But there is a hope contained in this chapter that we should also be on the lookout for. A hope that's something that we read of last week a hope of return to the land of inheritance. But this return, it does not happen on its own. There's something that is expected from us before that return can occur, something that is essential to walking in the faith of Messiah, and something that we have talked about a lot recently, but that is central to the gospel message. So let's open up Leviticus 26 and read of the blessings for the people of God can expect for obedience to his word, and the curses that we as a body can expect for disobedience. Leviticus 26. Do not make idols for yourself, and do not set up carved image or a pillar for yourselves, and do not place a stone image in your land to bow down to it, for I am Hashem your Elohim. Guard my Sabbaths and reverence my set-apart place. I am Hashem. If you walk in my laws and guard my commands and shall do them, then I shall give you rain in its season, 
and the land shall yield its crops, and the trees of the field yield their fruit. And your threshing shall last till the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last till the time of the sowing. And you shall eat your bread until you have had enough, and shall dwell in your land safely. And I shall give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and no one make you afraid. And I shall clear the land of evil beasts, and not let the sword go through your land. And you shall pursue your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. And five of you shall pursue a hundred, and a hundred of you pursue ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. And I shall turn to you, and make you fruitful, and shall increase you, and shall establish my covenant with you. And you shall eat the old supply, and clear out the old because of the new. And I shall set my dwelling place in your midst, and my being shall not reject you. And I shall walk in your midst, and shall be your Elohim, and you shall be my people. I am Hashem your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim from being their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke, and make you walk upright. But if you do not obey me, and do not do all these commands, and if you reject my laws, or if your being loathes my right rulings, so that you do not do all my commands, but break my covenant, I also do this to you, and I shall appoint sudden alarm over you, wasting disease and inflammation, destroying the eyes and consuming the life, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I shall set my face against you, and you shall be smitten before your enemies, and those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I shall punish you seven times more for your sins, and I shall break the pride of your power, and shall make your heavens like iron and the earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, and your land not yield its crops, nor the trees of the land yield their fruit. And if you walk contrary to me and refuse to obey me, I shall bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins, and send wild beasts among you, which shall bereave you of your children. And I shall cut off your livestock and make you few in number, and your highways shall be deserted. And if you are not instructed by me by these, but walk contrary to me, then I shall walk contrary to you, and I myself shall strike you seven times for your sins. And I shall bring against you a sword, executing the vengeance of my covenant, and you shall gather together in your cities, and I shall send pestilence among you, and you shall be given into the hand of the enemy. When I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back to you your bread by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. And if in spite of this you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I shall walk contrary to you in wrath, and I myself shall punish you seven times for your sins. And you shall eat the flesh of your sons, and eat the flesh of your daughters. And I shall destroy your high places, and cut down your sun pillars, and put your carcasses on the carcasses of your idols, and my being shall loathe you. And I shall turn your cities into ruins, and lay your set-apart places waste, and not smell your sweet fragrances. And I shall lay the land waste, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. And I shall scatter you among the nations, and draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be deserted, and your cities ruins. And the land enjoys its Sabbaths as long as it lies waste, and you are in your enemies' lands. Then the land would rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies waste, it rests, for the time you did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. And as for those of you who are left, I shall send faintness into their hearts in the land of their enemies, 
and the sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee, and they shall flee as though retreating from a sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues. And they shall stumble over one another as from before a sword, when no one pursues, and you shall be unable to stand before your enemies. And you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up, and those of you who are left rot away in their crookednesses. In your enemies' lands, and also in their fathers' crookednesses, rot away with them. But if they confess their crookednesses and the crookedness of their fathers with their trespass in which they trespassed against me, and that they have also walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised heart is then humbled, and they accept the punishment of their crookedness, then I shall remember my covenant with Yaakov, and also my covenant with Yitzhak, and also remember my covenant with Abraham, and remember the land. For the land was abandoned by them, and enjoying its Sabbaths, while lying waste without them, and they were paying for their crookednesses, because they rejected my right rulings, and because their being loathed my laws. And yet for all this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I shall not reject them, nor shall I loathe them so as to destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am Hashem their Elohim." Then I shall remember for the sake of the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Mitzrayim before the eyes of the nations to be their Elohim. I am Hashem. These are the laws and the right rulings in the Torah which Hashem made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moshe. Chapter 26 of Leviticus continues on in the theme that has been under discussion since chapter 23. For the last few chapters, we have seen the idea of communal responsibility in many forms celebration, enactment of courtroom justice, regular release and return of all who are vulnerable and oppressed. This chapter, though, now begins the discussion of the communal blessing and communal curses that can be expected to be enacted on everyone based on the community's participation in following the laws that God gave Israel. Now, this is significant because the community's obedience to the commands of God is directly connected to the leadership's obedience to these commands. If the leadership fails to live up to the commands, then the community will follow along in their footsteps. Now, this is something that we find recounted throughout the books of the prophets. Whether it is the line that is repeated throughout the book of the judges, that there was no king and so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Or the many times throughout the book of the kings when we see clearly that the king's obedience was directly connected to the obedience of the rest of the nation. All throughout scripture, we see this occurring. If the leadership of the nation fails to obey the Torah of God, then the community will follow along. And when this occurs, then the community is ultimately held responsible for their actions. Because the people will eventually become set in their ways, and when the leadership attempts to then bring the nation back to righteousness, it will be too late. The community will be corrupt to its core, and the righteousness of the king will not matter at that point. We saw this clearly in the last lesson when King Zedekiah made a covenant with the people to release the slaves and the people obeyed for a time, but then went out and forcefully returned their slaves and compelled them back into service. The leadership at this point is responsible for the people reaching this point. It was the job of the leadership to teach, to enact laws, and judge in accordance with the ideals of the Torah. And this is why we read in Deuteronomy this instruction given to the kings of Israel. Deuteronomy seventeen eighteen through 20 And it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this Torah in a book, from the one before the priests, the Levites. 
And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, so that he learns to fear Hashem his Elohim and guard all the words of this Torah and these laws to do them, so that his heart is not lifted up above his brothers, so as not to turn aside from the command, right or left, so that he prolongs his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. The king, the leader of the people, was not only to just read or study the Torah, there to write a copy for themselves to read and to study from. And it was the king's job, not the priests, to keep the people obedient to God. It was their example that the people would follow. Now, Israel had priests in the time of the judges, but the people still went their own way. Without a king, they did what they wanted without any guidance or control. And this lack of guidance led the people to great peril and to commit great travesty. But on the flip side, we see through the book of Samuel and Kings that an evil king can lead the people into even greater evil than they could get into on their own. When a king went evil, they would legitimize evil. And that legitimization of evil would then cause the people, who may have otherwise resisted as small factions, to begin to accept the evil that was being enacted in their midst. But a righteous king could bring peace and wealth to the land. And so we infer once again that proper, godly leadership is of vital importance to the community of Israel. And so Leviticus 26 describes for us two results of the community of Israel based on adherence of the whole community to the ideals of the Torah. And it begins with blessings. And in the blessings that are recounted for us here in chapter 26, we find some language that is repeated from another place in Scripture. These blessings, they call us back and they paint a picture of a return of Israel, not just a return to the land in the year of Jubilee, but a return to the state of creation that is similar to the Garden of Eden. Verses 4 through 5 speak of a regular harvest, a bounty of the land that is to be enjoyed by the obedient children of Israel. This bounty is one that recalled the mind back to Genesis one twenty nine and the blessing that was given to man in the garden. Genesis one twenty nine says, And Elohim said, See, I have given you every plant that yields seed which is on the face of the earth, and every tree yields seed to you. It is for food. A bounty and blessing of food from the field. Now, this connection might seem rather shaky, as the only language that's repeated in this passage is the idea of Hashem giving, and then the corollary of vegetation being food for the people. Well, verse 6 then speaks of the land being cleared of all evil, a place of peace and ease and comfort, no wild animals to worry about, no one to make you afraid. You will lie down in comfort and ease. This verse does not specifically repeat anything from the garden, but rather it paints a picture of what life in the garden must have been like. Then verse 7 and 8, they speak of military victories, not just victories, but miraculous victories that are not explainable by reason. And in verse 9, we once again see an exact repeat of a phrase from Genesis 1. Genesis 1.28, And Elohim blessed them, and Elohim said to them, Be fruitful, and increase, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over all the creeping creatures on the earth. This time, rather than it being a command to be fruitful and increase and fill the earth, it's a promise that God will cause Israel to be fruitful and increase. And then continuing on in verse 12, it speaks of God walking in the midst of Israel. 
Again, we're reminded of Genesis, and this time it's on chapter 3, in Genesis 3, 8. And they heard the voice of Hashem Elohim walking about in the garden in the cool of the day. God walking among his people. The blessings that God describes here are steeped in the language of Eden, a return to the way that things were created in the beginning, a special garden for God to dwell in, and a special people for him to live among. But this time, rather than a single man and woman, a whole nation of the world. This time, rather than the world outside of Eden being one of void and waste, this time the land outside of this new Eden being populated by the nations of the world. The description given here in Leviticus is the first glimpse that we are given of the new creation that is spoken of in other places of Scripture. Now, just after this blessing that the nation can expect for obedience come the curses that will be enacted for disobedience. And we will quickly notice that the curses take up a lot more space than the blessings. Where the blessings simply had to call to mind the Edenic state of the earth, the curses are something that needed to be spelled out. And if we pay close attention, we will find that there are six levels of curses that are recounted. And once again, we'll find that the curses that are recounted in these verses are repeated in another book in Scripture. Here is a warning of what will come from disobedience. And in the other book, it is a declaration of what is right around the corner for Israel. Now, verse 16 begins the first curse for disobedience. Rampant diseases, inflammation, nearsightedness, and blindness, and death. The seed that you sow you will not eat. Rather, your enemies will eat the produce of your hands. And those who hate you will be put in places of leadership over you. Verse 18 then begins the second phase of curses. Punishment seven times for the sins of the people. Lack of rain and a dense dirt for planting. Spending inordinate amounts of energy to not receive enough food. Drought. And in a world without modern transportation, famine conditions. Verse 21 then speaks of the third set of curses, plagues and devastation of livestock. Now, does this word plague mean sickness as we think of it, or is this the same as is used in the book of Exodus? Now, the context leads us to believe that this is used in the same way as in Exodus. Look at the plagues that are described. They are repeats of two of the plagues of Egypt. Wild beasts will be sent among the people to bereave them. That's one understanding of the fourth plague. Rather than it being flies, it's wild animals, swarms of animals. Because the word flies never appears in the book of Exodus. Then your livestock will be cut off or killed. These are two of the plagues that were visited on Egypt. Now this section is the first time that we catch a glimpse of these curses being recounted in another book. Ezekiel 5.17 says, And I shall send against you scarcity of food and evil beasts, and they shall bereave you, and pestilence and blood shall pass through you, while I bring the sword against you. I, Hashem, have spoken. This one verse recounts all of these first three curses for disobedience, and it is directed at Israel just after the first deportation to Babylon had occurred, but before the final fall and desolation of Jerusalem. And this trend continues as we continue on. The fourth set of curses we read of, a sword coming against Israel, pestilence sent among the people, famine and hunger rampant in the country. Again, we read of these things being recounted in the book of Ezekiel as a warning of what was soon to occur in that nation. 
Ezekiel 5, verse 12, One third of you shall die of pestilence and be consumed with scarcity of food in your midst. One third of you shall fall by the sword all around you, and I shall scatter another third to the winds and draw out a sword after them. Or Ezekiel 4, 16, And he said to me, Son of man, see, I am going to cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem, and they shall eat bread by weight and with fear, and drink water by measure and with dread. And Ezekiel 5, verse 16, When I send against them the evil arrows of scarcity of food, which shall be for their destruction, which I shall send you, I shall increase the scarcity of food upon you and cut off your supply of bread. Once again, we see these very curses being declared over Judah just before they were enacted and just after it was too late for anyone to do anything about them. The fifth set of curses then begins in verse 27. And as we go through these, we should recognize that the only reason that these keep ramping up is because the people fail to recognize the events that are going on around them as punishment for disobedience. Instead, their attitude takes on the form of, well, drought is just a way of life. Famine is just a way of life. Diseases happen, you know. Wars are natural. When you fight wars, you will expect to be defeated sometimes. Pestilence and pandemics are natural occurrences. God's hand is not in these things at all. And it is this attitude that then precipitates a new and a more devastating round of judgment from God. As punishment? Yes. As judgment? Yes. But toward what purpose? Well, that we will get to shortly. This fifth set of curses contains one of the most heartbreaking and disgusting outcomes that a human can think of. Your hunger will get so bad that you will eat your own children. Your places of worship will be destroyed and your corpses will lie on the remains of the gods that you worshipped. Your cities will become ruins and everyone who is still alive will be astonished at the destruction that lies around them. Verse 33 says that you will be scattered among the nations. This verse is interesting because the word translated as scattered is the same that's used for winnowing in other contexts. And winnowing is a process where wheat is gathered into a place and then thrown into the air just after the harvest. And the wind then carries away the light chaff and it is scattered and the heavy wheat then falls back to the ground. Now this is very poignant because this idiom for winnowing is one that is found throughout scripture to describe God's judgment. Jeremiah 15, 7, And I shall winnow them with a winnowing fan in the gates of the land. I shall bereave, I shall destroy my people, and they would not turn back from their ways. Or Matthew three twelve says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he shall thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the storehouse, but the chaff he shall burn with unquenchable fire. The chaff will be scattered by the wind to the nations, and the land will be desolate And then the land will be able to enjoy the Sabbaths that they should have received in the first place. Again, we see these ideas repeated in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 5 verse 10. Therefore, fathers are going to eat their sons in your midst and sons eat their fathers. And I shall execute judgment among you and scatter all your remnant to all the winds. Or Ezekiel 5, 14 through 15, And I shall make you a waste and reproach among the nations that are all around you, before the eyes of all who pass by. And it shall be a reproach, an object of scorn, a warning, and an astonishment to the nations that are all around you, when I execute judgments among you in displeasure and in wrath and in heated chastisement. I, Hashem, have spoken. 
or Ezekiel 6, 4 through 6. And your altars shall be ruined, your sun pillars shall be broken in pieces, and I shall make your slain fall in front of your idols, and, and lay the corpses of the children of Israel in front of their idols, and scatter your bones all around your altars. In all your dwelling places the cities shall be destroyed, and the high places deserted, so that your altars are broken and bear their punishment. And your idols shall be smashed and made to cease, and your sun pillars cut down, and your works blotted out." Each of these curses we read once again as being warned of in Judah just before they occurred in reality. And then finally, we read of the sixth round of curse in verse 36. This time, it is a curse that is directed towards all of those who remain. A curse that will follow Israel into exile. A cowardice will be put on the remnant. They will cower in fear. They will run when no one chases. They will shake like a leaf and stumble over one another to an escape an enemy that is not chasing them. They will be so shaken with fear that they will not be able to stand before their enemies. And the remainder will rot away among the nations. Ezekiel 6, 8-10 But I shall leave a remnant in that some of you shall escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered throughout the lands. And those of you who escape shall remember me among the nations where they have been taken captive, because I have been broken by their adulterous heart which has turned away from me, and by their eyes which they hoard after their idols. And they shall loathe themselves for the evils which they have done in all their abominations. And they shall know that I am Hashem, and not for naught have I spoken to do this evil to them. And if we stopped here, there does not seem to be a hope at all for those who have been scattered. For this has happened multiple times in history. First, these curses were carried out in the northern nation of Israel in the time of Isaiah. Now, while Isaiah does not recount these verses as concisely and as exactly as Ezekiel did, you can read of each of these things occurring throughout the book. And Israel was scattered among the nations, and to this date they have not been gathered back as a people group. Then it happened in Judah at the time of the Babylonian captivity, and this is what we just read about in the book of Ezekiel. But then it happened again at the time of the Bar Kokhba rebellion in 135 AD. Judah was destroyed once and for all and scattered out of the land. The name of the land was changed from Israel and Judah to Palestine in an attempt to wipe out the names of this people group from the face of the earth. And for the last 1,800 years or so, Israel has lived that sixth curse to one degree or another. Scattered and blown by the winds of change, moving from place to place and never able to withstand those who stood against them. But then, something happened. Verse 40 begins to recount the process of regathering. And that process begins with repentance, confession of sins. And since this is communal, then it is not limited to simple, personal, and individual sins, but the sins of your fathers and the sins of your people. Recount the ways that your ancestors have walked contrary to Hashem and His Torah. Recount the ways that you yourself have walked contrary to Hashem and His ways. And if their hard, uncircumcised heart is brought low and humbled... If they accept that the punishment that they have received is a just punishment that was fully warned of and fully deserved, drop your arrogance and your pride in your own 
ways. Remember Hashem and his ways, and he will once again remember the covenant that he made with Jacob and with Isaac and Abraham, and he will remember the land. Now, it's easy to misunderstand this idea of God remembering something. To modern ears, this sounds as if he had forgotten. And if he has forgotten, then is he truly God? Well, we have to remember the Hebrew language is an active language. It's action-oriented. Having something enter your eyeballs and register in your brain is not to see that thing. In Hebrew, you have not seen something until you act in relationship towards that thing. The same with hearing. Sound waves bouncing around inside your ear and causing a reaction that your brain interprets as sound is not hearing. Hearing does not occur until you respond or react to what you have heard. That's why there's no separate word for obey in Hebrew. It's the same word for listen and hear and obey. One word, Shema. Now, when we read of God remembering, we must keep in mind that this does not mean that God first forgot. It simply means that he has not acted on the information that is stored in his proverbial brain. It's only once he begins to act in accordance with this information that it could be said that God is remembering said information. And that's what we read of here. God had not forgotten his covenant. He has not forgotten the patriarchs of the faith, and it is repentance that will suddenly then call this back into his mind. No. The covenant is there. It is always with him. It is repentance for our failure to live up to his covenants. It is repentance for our lack of faith to live out this covenant as these men did. It is repentance of all of the wrong that we have committed that will cause God to once again begin to act toward us in the way that the covenant dictates. For what was the covenant that was made with all three of the patriarchs individually? Well, to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3 and 7. I shall bless those who bless you and curse him who curse you, and in you all the clans of the earth shall be blessed. And Hashem appeared to Abraham and said, To your seed I give this land. And he built there an altar to Adonai, who had appeared to him. This covenant is repeated three times to Abraham alone in several other places. Then to Isaac in Genesis 26, 3-5, says, Sojourn in this land, and I shall be with you and bless you, for I give all these lands to you and your seed, and I shall establish the oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I shall increase your seed like the stars of the heavens, I shall give all these lands to your seed, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and guarded my charge, my command, my laws, and my Torah. And to Jacob, Genesis twenty-eight thirteen through 15 And see, Hashem stood above it and said, I am Hashem, Elohim of Abraham, your father, and the Elohim of Yitzhak. The land on which you are lying, I give it to you and your seed, and your seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall break forth to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and all the clans of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your seed. And see, I am with you and shall guard you wherever you go and shall bring you back to this land, for I am not going to leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. All three of the patriarchs received this promise from God. The land on which you dwell will be yours. And each time this promise was given, it was just before or as the patriarch in question was leaving the land. 
And so here in Leviticus, we read of the people outside of the land, outside of the land after they had been in it and lost it due to their own faithlessness. And it is here when the people recognize that the state of affairs is not simply circumstance or natural causes that have led them here. It is when they admit their failure to uphold the covenant before God, and they begin to turn away from the wickedness of their ways, that God begins to act to uphold the covenant once again. And it is then that Hashem works to reinstate Israel to the land that He promised, a promise that is still in effect today. Now, it is truly easy to look on these passages and to attempt to draw parallels to current news and current situations. I was tempted to do so myself several times in my preparation for this. I'm not saying that there are not valid reasons to attempt to do so. I just felt led to avoid that kind of discussion as part of these teachings. Rather, I think that there are two things that we should focus on when we arrive at passages such as this. The first is to recognize that when we see things of this nature occurring in our world, things that look like the curses written here, we should always begin to ask ourselves the question, am I failing to live up to God's standard in some way? Am I contributing to a potential judgment that's being poured out? Is my community contributing in a way that would precipitate a judgment of this sort? Is there something that I should be doing in my community to call for repentance? It's all the rage of modern Christianity to see events such as these as mere coincidence or simply the way the world works. But that is not a biblical view. Isaiah 45.5 says, I am Hashem and there is no one else. There is no God besides me. I gird you though you have not known me, so that they know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none but me. I am Hashem. And there is none else forming the light and creating darkness, making peace and creating evil. I, Hashem, do all these. If we see calamity as just a side effect of our world or natural processes, then we ignore the fact that Hashem is intimately involved in these processes. Nothing occurs without His notice and without His say-so. Not only that, nothing occurs without His allowing it to be done. We read here that Hashem will actively bring harm to his people to the point where they are eating each other simply to stay alive. And this is his judgment upon those people. This is his voice ringing out for a purpose. And that purpose is to call them to repentance. We should never look at calamity in our world and think, well, that's just life. That's just the way the world works. No. Rather, we should look at calamity in our world and think, what can I repent of? And then, what can I call others to repentance of? Where are we failing to live up to the standard set before us? Calamity is an opportunity to regroup and reconsider our own humble place in this world. Second we need to recognize the return that is called for at the end of this chapter is one that began with the death and resurrection of Yeshua. He makes this clear throughout his ministry, and the apostles allude to it several times. Matthew 10, 5-7 
Yeshua sent these twelve out, having commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the nations, and do not enter a city of Samaria, but rather go to the lost sheep in the house of Israel. And as you go, proclaim, saying, The kingdom of the heavens has drawn near. And when approached by a Canaanite woman for healing, how did Yeshua respond in Matthew fifteen twenty four? And he answered, saying, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yeshua's ministry while he was alive was to the people of Israel, those who had not been dispersed, those who remained in the land at the time. And part of this message was one of warning of an upcoming upheaval that would result in the destruction of the temple because of unrepentance. And then when Yeshua died, the mission to his disciples changed and became a worldwide message. Messengers were sent out to all nations to preach the gospel of repentance and return, to tell the people that God was calling his people back to the nation of Israel. And this message was sent to the dispersion, those people in exile in the nations, repent and return. James 1.1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Master Yeshua the Messiah, to the twelve tribes who are in the dispersion, greetings. Or First Peter 1.1, Peter, an emissary of Yeshua the Messiah, to the chosen strangers of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These two letters were specifically addressed to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Now, we may want to look at the relatively recent foundation of the nation-state of Israel and point to it as the return being accomplished before our eyes. And it's likely that it is indeed a fulfillment of this promise. But the process began millennia before, with the call to repentance, the call to return, and the mission that Yeshua gave to his disciples after his resurrection. If we examine the last two chapters of Leviticus that we have just gone through, both include the idea of returning. In the year of Jubilee, the return is accomplished in a physical way, to the land of inheritance, to the land of the forefathers. In this chapter, the return occurs because of repentance, a turning away from sin and a turning towards God. If you humble yourselves and repent of your sin, then God will remember you. He will begin to act towards you in the manner of promise that he has made, the promises that only apply to his people. And it is this that brings us close to the end of the topic of communal worship of Hashem, this idea of communal repentance. And if we turn back to the very center of the book, we find that this was a central part of the Day of Atonement. Leviticus sixteen twenty one through 22 Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, and shall confess over it all the crookedness of the children of Israel, and all their transgression and all their sins, and shall put them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a fit man. And the goat shall bear on itself all their crookednesses to a land cut off. Thus he shall send the goat away into the wilderness. And it is this that we read of as the thematic center of the book of Chronicles as well. In Second Chronicles seven thirteen through 14 If I shut up the heavens and there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, 
And my people upon whom my name is called shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. Then I shall hear from the heavens and forgive their sin and heal their land. And there is no doubt about it. Our land is sick. And there's no doubt that the people of this world are sick. And so it is upon us on whom God's name is called to humble ourselves to seek his face, to turn, and to repent of our evil ways. Then, only then will we see healing and restoration pour forth. And it is only through humility and repentance and seeking the ways of God that we can hope to stay on the path of life. So Deresh Chai, seek life. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Derish Chai. If this content has blessed you and you would like more, please consider subscribing, liking, commenting, and sharing with others. To find out more about what we do and to support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. We'll see you again next time as we Derish Chai, as we seek life. Shalom.